We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. So when I talk to someone about a community of inquiry, I'm not saying, here's all the things that you're not doing. I am saying, here are the things that we know work, and I know you're doing these things. Let's talk about what we're doing to address social presence. Let's talk about what we're doing to address cognitive presence, and what are we doing that you would consider teaching presence? And then we can see, are there areas of need? Dr. Chris Jones here, and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Lainey Rowell is an educator, international consultant, podcaster, and TEDx speaker. She is the lead author of Evolving Learner and a contributing author of Because of a Teacher. Her latest book, Evolving with Gratitude, will be released in mid 2022. An experienced teacher and district leader, her areas of focus include learner-driven design, community building, online or blended learning, and professional learning. Lainey's work has been highlighted in many publications, including Edutopia, OC Family Magazine, and PBS NewsHour. Since 2014, Lainey has been a consultant for the Orange County Department of Education's Institute for Leadership Development. I am super excited and been waiting to have Lainey on the podcast because a lot of her things, as I look at her on Twitter and listen to her TED Talk, um, which just passed an important anniversary, uh, there's a lot of good things that I that I think are super important for people to hear. So Lainey, welcome to the podcast and thanks for coming on. Oh, I am so honored to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm going to call you Dr. Jones one time to get it on record that I honor the <laughs> okay. title. And you, you were kind before we hit record. You said I may call you Chris, so I will do that now. But I just wanted you to know, thank you, Dr. Jones. <laughs> <laughs> very, very official. Nice job. <laughs> so you, you have a book coming out uh, later this year in, in 2022. And I, I love the title. And I've heard some of your other stuff and seen some of your other stuff. Tell us a little bit about that. What What's about that? Or what is that about? How is that for English? <laughs> um, it's, it's a language I do not have command of yet, but I'm working on it. So I, I appreciate it. So I'm, I'm really excited about this book. And I do have um, another book you mentioned, very generous uh, introduction, Evolving Learner, which was a labor of love over many, many years. And, you know, one of the themes that emerged in that book 
was how important social emotional learning is for all, for the kids and the adults. And so it was in writing that book, a great opportunity to dive deep into social emotional learning. And then you won't, I don't know if you know this, Chris, but the release date of Evolving Learner was March 13th of 2020, which was a kind of well-known day for especially those of us in the United States, because for most of us, that was the day that school shut down. So that was a, obviously there were bigger things in the world. It was uh, a really, really difficult time. And as, as I definitely struggled and, uh, still was able to survive and in some cases even thrive, maybe not the first two weeks, but but as, as we moved on through that experience, which was just, you know, the world knocked off its axis, over time I had this opportunity to reflect on like, okay, this was really hard and some really terrible things happened, but my family and I didn't completely fall apart. And what was that that really kept us together? And it was when I discovered that gratitude, practicing gratitude and having a grateful mindset is actually how I was able to survive and again, in some cases, thrive and flourish and get through, which which we're still in. And there are still definitely very hard, difficult days. And so I kind of just decided to take this deep dive on like, well, what is gratitude all about? You know, we, we say thank you. We do the obligatory thank you. But like, what does it really mean to be grateful and to not just practice gratitude, but to be grateful? Like, this is who I am. I am a grateful person. And so I just took this really deep dive. I was overwhelmed to with, with joy to find out all the benefits. There's, you know, there's helps us cope with stress, regulate our emotions, helps with actual physiological health helps us nourish relationships. Uh, And then the most relevant for this particular podcast is it actually is energizing learning. And so the fact that it like touched all of these areas was just so exciting. So um, I will say that Evolving Learner took many years to write and I could not stop writing this book. I spent like every minute I could of every day writing this book and it just poured out of me and I'm super excited to get it to people because I really do think it will help other educators and just excited to get it out there. It has stories from from our peers as well. So there's a bunch of stories in there from other educators talking about gratitude. Super excited. Well, thank you for that. And I, I, if we could just stay with that for a second, the whole idea of that book and pouring out of you and because you realized the importance of gratitude. We talk about gratitude a lot, but now, especially that we've been through the pandemic, teachers are working and, and more tired than ever before. A lot of feedback from this year is that it's worse than last year. Yes. And more tiring than last year. So we know that gratitude makes us feel better, but how does a leader get that across or help teachers with that or to take those practices on so that it helps them out? Yeah, so this is a great question. And to me, it doesn't matter if, whenever you're wanting people to join you in gratitude, the first step is modeling it, right? And so as a leader to be able to, and this is one of the things, so the book is organized uh, just like the first book, Evolving Learner. It has three sections. So gratitude with kids, uh, gratitude with peers, and gratitude with the world. And so the chapter on gratitude with peers, and again, we have stories from other educators, several of them in administrator roles, 
talking about how they practice gratitude, how they how they express gratitude to their teachers, to all of their colleagues, and how contagious that is, and how that just spreads. And then when the teachers feel the gratitude, how that in turn is then passed on in their classrooms. And it, it can be very, very small practices. One of my favorite practices that an administrator shared is that they walk through when they do, and they, uh, you have to have the culture for this, that you're going to be walking through classrooms and this is non-evaluative. This is just part of our culture of we we learn from each other. I walk in and out. I want to be present. I want to. I want you to, to, to know that I can't wait to be into your classroom to see all the wonderful things that you're doing. Not This isn't a gotcha. I'm going to come in and catch you with doing stuff. It's like, I want to come in and see the wonderful things. And this administrator goes through with just a simple pad of Post-its and a pen and makes it a goal to walk through and observe one wonderful thing happening in the classroom and then just stick that post-it on their whiteboard or on their desk. And then it's just some, it's, it's, authentic. It's in the moment. It doesn't take a lot of time. And this principal said that she loved doing it so much, she actually started doing it for the kids too. And so if she saw a student doing something exceptional, you know, highly contributing in the conversation or helping a friend, they would put the post-it on their desk and then the kid would take it home and share it with the family. And it was like, it's just, it is, you can see I get excited talking about it. It's just contagious. And it just really, really has a huge impact, not only on learning, but the culture of the school. But that's, you should be excited. That's super cool. So let me get this straight. You know, you t- I mean, you talk about modeling gratitude. So because I go in and I do like Voxer feedback for live feedback and things like that, so they can hear my voice. But this that. is all, you're talking about, this is all in the moment. So they, I go in, I see Lainey do something awesome in class. I write a post-it note, walk out, and I'm picturing myself, you know, walking out and slapping it on the whiteboard right there yeah. while class is going on and everything. It's it's not disruptive. You just That's awesome. post it on your way out. You can do it more subtly if you want. It can be on the, you know, the desk, on the laptop, wherever you want it to be. And that's just a really simple one. Um, another one that was shared, uh, Tara Martin shared this, and I think other people have shared with this too, but that it's this practice to start their day to send off a couple gratitude emails. Just, I want to say thank you for something that you've done. And it's just a really nice way to start your day. That's cool. You know, you, and gratitude is such a powerful thing. And I think it's important that you you mentioned that you do it with students, with teachers and things like that. And, and you you do that in your book. I was lucky enough to come across your TEDx talk and I'm, I'm going to hit this real quick. And you, was it the 10 year anniversary? You said it just it's passed coming just... up on the, it's coming up on the 10 year anniversary. Yes. Okay. And we had spoken really quick before the recording started about whether it holds up or not. <laughs> where, <laughs> well, you have to tell me. <laughs> where, and I am here to tell everybody, go on Google and Google Laney's TEDx talk that says that's learn like a kid. And one of the things that really the reason it held up for me is I thought about when you were talking about there's so much information on the internet that it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. And, you know, oftentimes in education, we're, we're really good at throwing 10,000 tools, strategies, everything at teachers. And quite often, I mean, you get overwhelmed, right? It leads to frustration. So how do leaders along with gratitude and other strategies like that, how do leaders approach teachers and make sure that they don't have to drink from the fire hydrant? Uh, Such a, I mean, full transparency, I still feel like I'm drinking from a fire hydrant every single day, but I do think that, that leaders, administrators can help teachers. I find that 
not just myself, but when I watch my peers, we all so desperately want to be the best that we can be that we often take everything on instead of picking a focus, right? And so, and this actually goes back to my first book, Evolving Learner, where we talk about this cycle of inquiry, where we look at all the cycles of inquiry and they all have, you know, overlap, but we talk about um, focus, learn, refine, reflect. And so that focus part is really, really important. And I was just listening to, I'm so, I listen to so many podcasts that I'm really bad about remembering to write down when I hear something profound. And I'm like, oh, what was that podcast where they said that? But it was some podcast where someone said, you know, the word priority was never actually meant to have a plural version. We say priorities, right? <laughs> so That's perfect. Right. Is that not, doesn't that make you go like, oh yeah, I can, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) But we, but we do in education, we have many priorities. And in fact, sometimes it's so many that the, the word just loses all meaning. So I do think that what we need as leaders is we need to start a collective cycle of inquiry. As a campus, as a community of learners, we have this focus and it could be more inquiry-based learning. It could be a focus on making thinking visible through formative assessment, whatever it is, there is a collective cycle of inquiry. And I'll just share with you, one of my dear friends who I adore, not only as a person, but an educator, Dr. Katie Novak, she has this prompt and it's, uh, it would be cool if. And like, as a way of asking for feedback, I used it as a way of like picking a focus. Like it would be cool if we utilize technology to promote universally designed inquiry-based instruction or something like, you know, like it's, it's what is my focus going to be is kind of, you could call it problem of practice. You can use Katie's prompt, whatever it is, but we have to have this collective cycle of inquiry, what we as a community of learners are focused on, but then we also have to have these individual cycles of inquiry. So I, Lainey, within the scope of inquiry-based learning, I'm going to focus on this piece. And you, Chris, are going to focus on this piece. And we're all going to work together to get there. We're going to have times where we come together, but we're also going to have times where we have to do our own thing at our own pace, with our own path. And so, I don't know, does that, ha- does that help? <laughs> no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm, I'm looking at the whole idea of focus. I, first of all, I love the prompt. It would be cool if... But yes, the collective, and I talk a lot about the idea of an individual, if you want to engage somebody, they really have to see how their personal why, what's important to them, and what their, or what, in this instance, what their focus is, how that fits with the collective and is accepted by the collective. And so I think that's really important that you mentioned both the collective and the individual. Going back to the, the focus, learn, refine, and reflect. So they, they get their focus and we help teachers with that focus to make sure it narrows down. And then talk to me a little bit about the learn, refine and reflect pieces. So, and and I'll just, I guess if I could take like a 10,000 feet view of like what I would see maybe throughout a school year or maybe even just a series of professional learning. Like I think workshops are important for us to come together, to understand the vision, to really understand that collective cycle of inquiry. Again, going back to that focus, right? And learning can happen there too, but a lot of the learning is going to happen. And we have all the research to tell us this. It needs to be ongoing and it needs to be job embedded. And for teachers, that's going to be in the classroom with their kids. 
So that is going to be using formative assessment, not only as a tool to help understand what kids need to get to mastery, it's also going to inform me of my practice right? You know, we've all seen that matrix of when we do some, some assessment, uh, some quantitative assessment where we can see like, okay, here's the, here's the column where everyone blew it, right? Well, that's on me. If everyone blew it, that's on me. A row of red, that's, I have someone in trouble. I need to, I need to do some interventions for that particular child, right? So the learning is so ongoing. And then, you know, when we talk about the cycle of inquiry, where we talk about focus, learn, refine, reflect, one of the things that, that I always try and remember to say is that a cycle of inquiry is not meant to be linear. It is not a checklist of, oh, now I have my focus. Now I have my learn done. Now I'm going to refine it. You could actually go to learn. And again, talking about like formative assessment as a tool for learning, you're about your practice. I could actually realize that my focus was the wrong focus <laughs> based on what I observe with my with my students. I might need to go back and pick a different focus. Or if I'm in the refine phase where I'm like implementing this and like, well, this is just failing epically. I need to go back and, and find a different, I need to learn about a different strategy to implement. And then I will tell you in every cycle of inquiry that I use, and I use a lot of them, reflect is never at the end solely, right? It is throughout the entire process. So it it feels always a little bit contrived to have to put it at the end, but it's like we have to give it a place and like, I don't know, graphics are sometimes limited in what I want them to do, but we're, we're constantly reflecting. That's always happening. And so again, not to, to overcomplicate it, but it is, it's a cycle of inquiry and it's not meant to be linear. Not overcomplicated at all. And I think that that highlights the importance of what leaders need to do for teachers when they're talking about how important the iterative process is. Because oftentimes we talk about in the classroom, you design a lesson and, and look, we've all been there. And if there's any teacher out there that tells you um, or administrator that there's the lesson that you write, deliver, and you're good, walk away, um, they're selling you something. So these, we give these lessons that they look great in our head right? Great idea. We're, we're pure genius when we write them. And then we go deliver them and they run into the teenager, the preteen, the young kid, and it's a disaster. They fall apart. Well, like you just said, you don't wait till the end to reflect on it. As you're going, you start to morph it as you're going. And then it's the whole idea of that lesson isn't necessarily garbage. It just needs to be tweaked. So we have teachers in our buildings and that's part of culture, right? That you have in your building with risk-taking and things like that and those other words. Do you have any advice for leaders as to how they really get teachers to buy into that iterative process? The idea that they have to go over and over again and massage things, yes, because teachers know that, but to do that, they have to start somewhere. They have to take that chance. They have to step out on the ledge with that lesson. Yeah, so... I'm, I'm going to use an answer I gave earlier, and that is you have to model it, right? So I feel like, and I've, I've been in a lot of different roles in education, and every time I've stepped into a new role, I have had such imposter syndrome that I have wanted to come off as the expert and never acknowledge my mistakes. So being, you know, my 
first, you know, time, especially as a, as a sixth grade teacher, that was like my second year of teaching was I went from kindergarten to sixth grade, um, which is like whiplash. <laughs> but going into a sixth grade classroom where I had kids taller than me and like trying to like, I'm so, so new, so green, trying to make them feel like I, I know everything, trying to fool them into everything, knowing everything. I didn't know everything. I think it's hard for administrators as well to not to to be willing to say I I don't have the answer. I don't have the answer or uh, another really tough one is I tried that and that was not the best solution. If I can, you know, if you can, you'll iterate, right? Model iterating. Okay, that did not work. We have this situation that did not work. And then I think it's Jimmy Costas who who says like the four most powerful words are I need your help. <laughs> and so <laughs> like I think that when we model that whatever our role in education is whoever we get to learn from and with when we model that we don't have all the answers that acknowledging when we make mistakes and that we're going to make it better um, as long as people know our intentions are right when we model that risk-taking and model that accepting of responsibility that I need to change this, I need to improve this, this could always be better. Because that continuous improvement mindset has to be everyone in the learning community. Everyone needs to be able to accept that. It's And, I, and there's a great Dylan Willem quote, I won't get it perfectly, but the gist of it is, it's like, if we could all accept that we need to improve, not because we're not good enough, but because we can be even better, like if we all had that mindset, imagine like that, there's just, there's no end to what we could accomplish. I'm so glad you said that. That's one of my favorite sayings. The idea that we, cause I'm, I'm big on continuous improvement and the idea that we don't need to continually improve because we're not good. We need to continually improve because if we, if we look at where we are now, and this is directly in the face of imposter syndrome, if we look at where we are now, think of how much better we could be if we just improved a little. So, Absolutely. you know, I'm, I'm really glad you said the idea of that community piece. You you talked about the collective idea of focusing the collective and, you know, the whole idea of learning through modeling with that iterative process and things like that. Because one of the things that you're really good at is the idea of community building and professional learning. And so I I have a, a couple of things to ask you about that, but that, that's going to be a longer conversation. So, I want to hear from our sponsors real quick and then come back and talk about that a little. Today's podcast is brought to you by Better Leaders, Better Schools, who put out a great newsletter every Sunday called The Weekend Resource. This newsletter provides incredible value, sharing tremendous leadership resources from across a variety of resources. And I personally love the inspiring quote at the end of each weekend resource because I can use it with my staff. Subscribe by visiting betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash weekend dash resource. I use Anchor to distribute the Seeing to Lead podcast because I find it to be the best tool to suit my busy schedule. Anchor has everything I need all in one place, offers hands-free distribution to everywhere podcasts are heard, and is free to use. I can use anywhere from some to all of its features based on what I need at the time. On top of all that, you can be mobile, recording, editing, and distributing all right from your phone. You can also easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So go download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. 
And we're back with Lainey. And we were just talking a lot, or Lainey was explaining, and I was learning a lot about the idea of collective focus and, and how we can model that or the importance of that iterative process to teachers to help move our school forward. One of the, or a couple of the things that Lainey, in looking at your stuff that you're really good at, it's community building and professional learning. And I like to think of that or, or shorten into one phrase of community learning. So I, I just need to ask you, with your knowledge around the idea of community learning, if, you, if, if all your ideas played out in a school, what should a modern school look like for teachers and students? It's a big question. And by the way, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate that, that you find me to be good at community and uh, professional learning. I, those are things I, I, I aspire to be really good at. I will say going back to kind of what we were talking about earlier, you know, kind of how do you, you model? I try to model with, I, I take this expression, this phrase from Adam Grant, confident humility, like battling that imposter syndrome. I have to have some level of confidence to move forward, but the humility to understand that I always have more to learn. So let me just say thank you for the compliment and I still have more to learn. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny that you say that because I've been told by one of my mentors that when somebody compliments me, I'm awful at taking compliments. I just have to say thank you and walk away. I know. I'm and, terrible at and, and <laughs> We I have a lot in common, Chris. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're finding that out as we talk. And I don't, um, it's funny because people talk about having a podcast but I do this to learn. I learn so much from listening to people like you and, and guests that I have on the podcast. So, um, but I digress. Go ahead and I'll leave you alone and let you spread some more wisdom. No, well, I, I will do my best. But um, so going back to like the big idea of your big question about like, what does this look like in school? So when the pandemic happened, that was a real disruption, and um, I do, this is my 25th year in education. 15 years of those, I've also been a part of the online learning community. So when that crazy cuckoo bananas time happened where the world was knocked off its axis, my two worlds kind of collided, um, not by choice, <laughs> mind you. It wasn't <laughs> like my in-person world, in, you know, brick and mortar learning collided with online by choice. It was out of necessity, that emergency thing. So what I kind of had to do is dig really deep and say like, okay, this is where we're at. What are the big things that we have to pay attention to in learning, regardless of the context, regardless of whether we're in person or online? And I really found myself digging deep back into the framework community of inquiry. It had been introduced to me through the online world, uh, online learning world, and it was a time to come back to it. So really quickly, for those who are not familiar with community of inquiry, it is comprised of three things, teacher presence, social presence, and cognitive presence. So the teacher presence is my role as the educator, designing, facilitating, directing the learning, right? I'm managing the social and the cognitive processes, okay? Now, the social presence, that is where you're going to have the collaboration, but also honoring individuals, right? So kind of almost going back to what we were talking about earlier, right, about professional learning is that you have the collective, but you also have the individual, right? So that's the social presence. And then you have this cognitive presence, which I find so fascinating, this co-constructing of 
knowledge of, you know, how we're able to, what we're able to know and do. So in the middle where those meet, where you have teacher presence, social presence and cognitive presence, that's the ideal. Okay. And so like within those, you can, you can like, I will give you some examples of things that we talk about a lot in education that would fit into one of those pieces. So for example, SEL, social emotional learning, that's going to be where the teacher presence and the social presence overlap, right? Because that's going to be us, you know, we're definitely managing that. We're making sure that those experiences happen, but it's also going to be between peers. And then for the cognitive presence piece, that's where I kind of get into like inquiry-based learning, project-based learning, even like little protocols, like the question formulation technique would be maybe in there. And then even just specific to teacher presence, how do I connect with the individuals? How do I make sure they connect with each other? Like it's it's that designing and facilitating. So it's all very fascinating to me, but it's like basically I need to, as I'm thinking about either as a leader, the entire school community or in my own personal classroom, like how am I addressing teacher presence, social presence and cognitive presence? Because if I'm doing all of those things, good things are happening in my opinion. <laughs> That is... And smart people said that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's in writing somewhere. It's, it's, I can give you the research. Yeah. <laughs> that almost comes across as a massive undertaking for leaders, right? To make sure that's, that's a lot of balls in the air at once. In your opinion, seeing that your opinions are very good and they've got the research behind them. So where does the leader start or how do they break that down? Because is that something, and again, let's, so let's talk about the fire hydrant thing again. So anybody, any leader that just listened to this is all jazzed up about it, right? They're like, oh yeah, there's, there's the, the, the answer that we always want in education. So summer comes to an end, teachers come in, first meeting and the, the leader's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have, we're going to have a community of inquiry. And these are the three steps to it. And this is what it looks like. And it has to do with the classroom, you and, you know, how you're going to actually deliver these things throws this at teachers. And I'm just picturing teachers going, what? Or, you know, the next level of Candy Crush is available, or it's Wordle now, the next level of Wordle is available on my phone. How does a leader put that through to teachers in a simple way? Well, I think for me, one of the things that's helped me get through that fire hydrant anxiety that I have is to be as asset-based in my thinking as possible. So when I talk to someone about a community of inquiry, I'm not saying, here's all the things that you're not doing. I am saying, here are the things that we know work, and I know you're doing these things. Let's talk about what we're doing to address social presence. Let's talk about what we're doing to address cognitive presence, and what are we doing that you would consider teaching presence? And then we can see, are there areas of need? And so... You will get teachers, especially as they're becoming online uh, teachers, who will focus very heavily on teaching presence, especially in the beginning. Because when you don't have kids in person, uh, accountability becomes quickly an issue if there's not enough teacher presence, right? right. <laughs> you're not physically in the same space. Social presence can be a challenge. So you're going to maybe hone in on some of those things more on, on the front side. So... I would encourage and I would argue that we're already doing a lot of these things. Let's just be super intentional. Let's take a step back. Let's do an audit. 
what are we doing that's already addressing these things? And then do we feel like there's, you know, what do we feel like are the areas of focus? Again, collectively, what is our area of focus? And then individually, what is my area of focus going to be? I I do hope people, uh, and I need to be better at this when I share things. It's not, I'm not coming at you like you're not already doing good stuff. Like, right, right. <laughs> here's, let me give you a framework to see like, are all of these things being done to the absolute best that they can be? Or is there some room for growth in some of these areas? So. That is so true. And that is such a misstep that leaders can make is to say, we're going to change this. And, you know, they never mention, hey, you're doing good stuff already. And sometimes things just have to be, you know, for the greater powers that be, I guess, they just have to be written down or put in a process in writing somewhere. And a lot of times teachers are already doing these things. Like you said, it's just not codified, I guess is a word, but um, not that not that great of a word. And so sometimes that's where you can mess up. Yeah. So like if, if you're thinking about like, um, sometimes we actually have to acknowledge it in each other. This, this could even be a form of gratitude, right? Is like um, part of my teacher presence might be that I stand at the door and welcome every child by name. I might not think anything of it, but the teacher next door might be noticing it going, wow, they're like, they do that like every day. That's amazing, right? Like I should do that more often or something like that. So I think auditing what we do, but also acknowledging it in each other because there are things and we can be very siloed in teaching. That's a real challenge. I do hope that if there, if there's uh, for the schools who are not already doing some form of instructional rounds or observe me, um, to me, one of the best opportunities for professional learning is to see each other in practice. And it's one of the ones that happens the least often. So we have to be able to get in and see what's happening in each other's classrooms. And that's a great way to also audit the good things that are happening and have that be, have that spread. And you know, that's such a good point. And I, I have to bring this up because a few years ago, pineapple charts were huge, right? And everybody talked about pineapple charts because the pineapple was a welcoming symbol and schools across mine included tried to implement this whole pineapple chart thing. And unfortunately, it didn't have staying power because then to do it, there were, right, there were all the external motivators. So if you if you go in, you get PDP points or you get different things, we'll take a duty away. If you can think of a way to get teachers to, to view other teachers, that's perfect. You don't need a gimmick. You don't need anything like that, but you have to build that into the culture somehow. Yeah, I think this is something that that it's it's a cultural thing for sure. And I have definitely seen some schools where pineapple charts or observe me, or if you want to call them instructional rounds, have been highly successful. I do think it re- there really has to be a lot of buy-in from teachers. I would encourage a mentality of this is not a dog and pony show. I'm not going to invite you in because I am going to do a drop the mic moment, something that you'll never be able to replicate because I've crafted it over like many years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we want to see the real stuff that happens. And if something goes, you know, not perfectly, that's fine. It's a real cultural thing. But I think that how that is approached is really going to be the key to how successful that is. And it is an opportunity to acknowledge and appreciate the work of our peers. And then it can be an opportunity to share feedback if it is wanted. I think we have to be really careful about imposing feedback from peers if there are people who are not ready for that. And so, and again, that modeling that happens, like who's open to doing this, um, forcing it is a real tough thing. Excellent point. 
You've mentioned quite a few things and quite a few subjects, and they all play with gratitude and things like that, but you've got so much. I have to ask you this because I've been thinking it as we're hitting piece after piece, and and people can't see you on the camera, but how excited you are when you're talking about this. I'm sure they can hear it in your voice. So what's what are you passionate about right now in school or having to do with education? I mean, I'm really like, I think that there's one of the through lines of my entire career, because I was actually a psychology major. I became an educator because part of doing my undergraduate hours for psychology was that I was placed in a, a school and I was uh, asked to work with a, st- a student with special needs. I actually was going to become a special education teacher. Anyways, um, you don't need my life story, but uh <laughs> The through line for my entire career has been about relationships and how do we use that as a foundation to inspire learning. And so there's, I think if I had to like, you know, bring it all together, that's it, is that I want um, these relationships not in place of instruction, but obviously we are here to educate. There is no confusion about that. But the profound impact of relationships, it just can't be overstated. And so I think that's why I've really honed in on this piece about gratitude and why I'm really, again, it's just something that that kind of has gotten me and other people around me who I've seen kind of, even though they've had their their darkest and most challenging times, they've been resilient, they've been able to flourish and thrive. Gratitude has been a big part of that. But a big motivator for gratitude is because it's about improving or maintaining good relationships, right? So I think I think that's I'm a I like people. That's why I like being on here talking to you, Chris. <laughs> I learn so much. I, <laughs> yeah. I get that's what gives me energy is these relationships, these connections. We are social beings. And so that's really important to me. That is a perfect segue into the second to last question that I ask everybody on this on this podcast. So we're we're getting close to the end. The first one's all about you. The second one's all about the listener. The first one is if you were not an educator, who, not what, would you be? You know, I struggle with this question. (laughs) (laughs) You did give me a heads. I've I've heard you, you know, I know this is coming because I've heard you ask other people. I listened to your show. So I knew this was coming. This is still super hard for me. So I, who would I be? I would hopefully be a better version of myself. And so, you know, one of the things I struggle with, and maybe other people struggle with this as well, is the comparison hangover, right? Uh, Amplify, we've always had it, uh, magazines, billboards, we've always had things that did a real good job of making us feel bad about ourselves. Uh, And social media, which I love, let me preface this, I love social media, but it is definitely um, something that can amplify that comparison hangover. And so what I tell myself is to compare myself to Lainey six weeks ago, Lainey six months ago, Lainey a year ago, and look at how I have grown. Uh, Easier said than done, but I really do try to do that because even today I had an opportunity to hear Dr. Robert Edmonds, he is one of the leading experts on gratitude. And I I heard him speaking today and I'm like, and he's getting all these Q and A's. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's so good at answering that about gratitude. I don't think I could have answered that question. Well, no, he spent 25 years studying gratitude. Obviously he's going to have more answers than I do. That would be like a slap in the face to his career if I could answer it as well as he can. So, so who would I be? I would be someone who doesn't suffer from comparison hangover. 
Is that a fair answer? That is a fantastic answer. You are so I went really rogue on you, didn't I? <laughs> so you're the you're the you ready for this? You are the 53rd episode of this podcast. So you're actually the first episode of season two. Oh, which I'm just saying. So, and I might, I might, we, we had spoken before. I might adjust when it comes out a little bit, but so it might not work out that way in the finish, but you're actually the 53rd episode. So you're the first episode of season two and nobody has said anything about the comparison hangover. And as you said that, what a great phrase to use. And I was thinking to myself, so, okay, episode 53 airs. Do I look at other people and how many downloads they have or other stats and compare myself? Or do I just say, look where you would have been or if you had never started this before? So I keep learning. So I will say, and this is probably something else I learned from a podcast that I forgot to write down and be able to reference, but it is part of us to compare. It is in our nature to compare. So I use the word evolving a lot. So I am constantly, um, and and I've also heard this, I'm going to compare how I choose to respond to that comparison is actually what's going to be the most critical thing. So I have to do some self-talk. I have to remind myself that Dr. Emmons has done this work for 25 years, Lainey. You have been focused on it for a couple years. Get over yourself. You know, (laughs) you are, and, and then actually I can take that, would maybe be even a step further and say, how lucky am I that I still have so much more to learn and I can't wait to keep going on this journey and, and to get to share it with all of you. That's, that's awesome. That is such a fantastic answer. Here you were worried about it. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like you just, you just challenged me to another game of pool, double or nothing to get your money back. And like, you played shark on me. That that's that's a great answer. <laughs> I still think I went off the rails, but I appreciate your kindness. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, the last question for the listeners to this podcast. You know, there's a lot that goes on and and things like that and there are there are there are leaders that want to better support, engage and empower their teachers, but sometimes even in their best intentions they're off the mark, right? So, What's the best piece of advice you could give to leaders as they work to become better at supporting, engaging, and empowering their teachers? I think maybe a couple things, if that's okay. So I think think first would be to keep evolving, to appreciate that you get to keep evolving. That continuous improvement mindset, I think, is critical for all of us, from kids to adults. Uh, whatever your role is, we all have to be willing to keep learning and sharing. And I would advocate for with a grateful mindset, because <laughs> I think that I think that will uh, allow us to flourish more. And then I would also say, and this has been hard. I, I think that part of you know we the fatigue of the being at this time of the recording, we're you know two years into this pandemic, and. I think part of that fatigue has been that it has been so messy, right? But I think what we actually have to do is embrace the messy. And I mentioned it with the cycles of inquiry, they're nonlinear. So I think we have to embrace this messy, nonlinear and and accept that it's sometimes going to be scary, but that that's actually part of the process and that's part of the growing and that's what makes us better today than we were yesterday. Awesome. <laughs> I hope that helps someone. <laughs> that helps someone. That's going to help a whole lot of people. What you, the idea of evolving. That's and with gratitude. 
I, I, it's been helpful to me and, and uh, it's been interesting to, and doctor, I'll just share this really quickly. Feel free to cut it if you want, but um, Dr. Emmons shared, you know, he's been doing this work for 25 years. So he had this really interesting graph. Sorry. I know this is a podcast visuals don't do as well in podcasts. But <laughs> right. he, he basically showed the number of academic studies of research that had to do with gratitude over the last 25 years. And it's just jumped astronomically in the last 10 years, like astronomically. So I'm so excited to be a part of this work. And I think um, I, and I, I hope others find value in it too. It's really meant a lot to me. And I think, I think we're all ready to do more thriving and flourishing. And so I think we can do that by evolving together. Why would I ever not have that on the podcast? That's excellent. <laughs> Thank you. So look, a lot of a lot of people are going to are going to think uh, a lot about this and I'm sure they're going to take away a lot. What's the best way to get in touch with you? If somebody wants to learn more, hear more, buy your book that's going to be awesome. You're very kind and you have a book coming out too, so I will be it's first in line to get that. I'm very excited about that. Um so I am Lainey Rowell across the web. Now, problematic is the spelling of my name. <laughs> so, growing up with a unique name, I was so thoroughly annoyed because it was always mispronounced and misspelled. And now as an adult, I am a, a lot more grateful because when I went to go buy LaineyRowell.com, it was available. <laughs> and so for those listening, uh, my first name, Laney, is L-A-I-N-I-E. And it's Rowell like Powell, R-O-W-E-L-L. So Laney Rowell across the web, LaneyRowell.com, at Laney Rowell on Twitter, Insta, and LinkedIn. Although I'll be honest, I'm still a little befuddled about LinkedIn. I don't spend a lot of time there. <laughs> so Insta, Insta and Twitter are definitely where I spend the most time. I also have Facebook. And we'll have to talk offline and maybe you can get me more on Insta. Because I'm not on LinkedIn a lot, you know, at Facebook, Twitter, I'm on Twitter the most, but boy, Insta, I struggle with. Um, so I have been on Twitter since it launched in 07. Twitter feels very comfortable, although it is obviously common word in this podcast evolved over time, but uh, I'm still confused about Insta, but I'm better at it. I, okay. So again, no comparison hanger where I am not like some people on Insta, but I am better now than I was a year ago. So, and I hope to be better a year from now. So <laughs> that's the way you model that advice you gave earlier. Try. Thank you. Well, thank you. Look, you know, it's, it's been fantastic talking to you. It's, it's been even better than I had hoped. I will link all that stuff up in the show notes on the podcast so people can hit some links, get your books, um, they can check out that 10 year, 10 year TEDx talk to make sure it holds up and uh, they'll know where to go when the, when your new book comes out. Oh, well, thank you. I do hope people will connect with me. I love chatting with new people and I really enjoyed our time together, Chris. So thank you for this. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you'd like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Dr. C.S. Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with 
with your most valuable takeaway. Learn more at drcsjones.blog. Continue to improve and go have a successful week. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E.